Well, if you are joining with us tonight for uh, maybe the first time, we are in Ephesians, uh, and we've been working through Ephesians uh, this summer, and so tonight we're in Ephesians chapter 6, and Philip will preach on this passage in Ephesians chapter 6 in just a few moments, Uh, and then uh, next week we will finish our series, uh, and that will have us wrapped up for summer. Uh, We'll be finishing off our attributes of God in the morning and then Ephesians in the evening, moving into a a series on Exodus in the mornings, and then Romans in the evening. So that's what is coming. But tonight we're in Ephesians, and you'll find that in the Pew Bibles on page 1177. And we're going to begin to read in chapter 6 and at verse 10. So Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Amen. And we thank God for His Word to us. Well, good evening, everyone. It's great to be with you. Great to be down from the wilds of Donegal to worship with you. Thanks so much for your invitation. If you're ever going to make your way up to the Enishon 4, which I know always sounds a bit like a terrorist group that we're trying to free, if you're, if you're there any, any Sunday when I'm there, we start every Sunday with the, the same words. It's become a little bit of a pattern, a little bit of a habit that we've started with Jesus' words from the end of Matthew 11 as our call to worship. Wonderful words for us. Wonderful words for us because each one of us come here bruised, battered, broken with all the baggage of the Word. So as we come to open up God's Word, hear these words of invitation. Jesus said, come to me. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly, gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Please pray with me. Lord, as we come now to open up your word, as we come to mine its riches and delve into its depths, our prayer is that by your Spirit, you will help us see Jesus more clearly, love him more deeply, and follow him more closely. And the prayer of this, your servant, is that you'll speak a better sermon by your Spirit than my tongue could ever tell, my pen could ever write, my fingers could ever type. May these words from your servant speak to the hearts of us, your people, for our good and for your glory. And all of this we pray in your son's name. Amen. Amidst a barrage of sniper fire, a general's voice goes up, telling all of his troops, advance, keep going, don't stop. And they do so, they do it gingerly, dodging all the sniper bullets that whistle past them. And the major general, he laughs and he scoffs and he says, man, man, dodging all this way just for sniper bullets, single bullets. What will you do when they open fire along the whole line? I'm ashamed of you. They couldn't hit an elephant from this distance. Moments later, soldier walks in front of the general. The same moment, uh, that sharp shooter's bullet whistles past, nearly hits him. He dodges, falls to the ground. The general touches him gently with his boot and says, my man, I'm ashamed of you. Dodging that way, they couldn't hit an elephant at this distance. The soldier rose good-naturedly, saluted. His general said, general, I dodged a shell once, and if it hadn't, I would have taken my head off. I believe in dodging. The general laughs and replies, says, all right, my man, go to your place. And then for a third time comes the shrill whistle of bullets through the air. Only this time, a shrill ends with a thud and the general falls. A wound just below his eye. And the words that are left to echo, they couldn't hit an elephant at this distance. I'd forgive you if you've never heard of Major General John Sedgwick. He was a general in the Union Army during the American Civil War, and more than likely probably would have faded into obscurity if it hadn't been for those last ironic words in the battlefield. They couldn't hit an elephant from this distance, followed by a thud. I'd also forgive you if you think, well, what on earth does a story like that have to do with Ephesians 6? Well, Sedgwick's last moments on this earth can maybe speak to us of an earthly stupidity that's far too often a spiritual reality for us. After all, what was Sedgwick guilty of in his final moments? He'd lost sight of the fight. He underestimated his enemies and he failed to take cover. And here is Paul coming to the end of this letter to the church at Ephesus. 
after he's taken all this time to flesh out wonderful doctrine, told us our duty as Christians, here's his final words. Maybe we can view them as an appeal not to share in Sedwick stupidity. Don't lose sight of the fight. Don't underestimate your enemy. Don't fail to take cover. Why? Because just like the general find out, losing sight of the fight, underestimating your enemy, failing to take cover, deadly. Let's take a look at the the first one. Don't lose sight of the fight. Don't lose sight of the struggle. We'll look at where Paul starts in this section in verse 10. And this verse and the verse that follows, we've Paul giving us a series of commands in verse 10. We're told, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Verse 11, we're told to put on or take up the whole armor of God. Verse 13, take up the whole armor of God. All of these imperatives, all of these commands given to us to remind us you're in a fight. Don't lose sight of that. Don't lose sight of the struggle. Anytime you have a a biblical imperative, you have a biblical command, you can view them as a wonderful diagnostic for what's normally going on in our hearts and in our heads. They often reveal the tendencies, the leanings of our hearts, because if the Lord through His breathed out word is telling us that you need to do something, chances are your natural inclination is not to do it. So take verse 10, if we're told to be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might, what are we learning from a command like that? Well, we must have a need to be strong. We must have a need for that because we're weak. We have a need to find strength in somebody else, not ourselves. We're reminded there's a fight going on. This is our tendency to feel, to see, to embrace Sedgwick stupidity. You can put it all under the category of fight forgetfulness, and this is where we have to start a reminder, sobering reminder. You're in a fight. Don't lose sight of it. That battle that took the general's life, it wasn't his first, but on that field, familiarity with the fight made him lose sight of the fact he was in one. Fights have winners and losers. They have victors and casualties. Maybe we've forgotten that. Maybe you've forgotten that. If you're standing on the battlefield, oblivious to the battle raging all around you with bullets whistling by, well, you and I both have to realize and recognize that no matter how far we've come, no matter how long we've walked with the Lord, no matter how many wounds and scars we might have, no matter how many bullets we've dodged already, no matter how many fights we've had, we need to remember the fight goes on. Maybe you've forgotten. Maybe you've been honestly, genuinely consumed with so many other fights. You're you're fighting on so many other fronts that you've forgotten about this spiritual warfare. It's part of our culture, maybe part of us being in the, the West, being so enlightened and educated, that we actually have this difficulty to grasp spiritual categories. 
to realize we're fighting, we're wrestling on a spiritual plane, that a war is raging which we cannot see, but in which we are deeply and intimately involved. And here's Paul reminding us of it. Remind us that the fight isn't fought in the plane of your physical health or your wealth, though there can certainly be casualties and ammunition in the battle. This fight, this struggle that we're in, it's fought on the planes of our hearts over our souls. Look at the end of verse 12 to see where Paul places some of the struggle here in the heavenly places. It might be that tonight you need to realize that you haven't only lost sight of the struggle, but you've forgotten the field in which the fight is taking place. Spiritual warfare. We're engaged in a battle to stand against the schemes of the devil at the end of verse 11. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And please recognize, as Paul says that, he's not diminishing the battles that you may be fighting on other fronts. There are struggles of health that might be consuming you, questions and anxieties about relationships and jobs and family and friends. Paul does not brush those things aside. He's no stranger to those realities. But look at what the man who has been stoned and beaten and shipwrecked says to us, that the most ferocious fight we face is not just the physical, but the spiritual. Or maybe it might be something completely different for you this evening. Maybe it's, it's not that just that you've lost sight of the fight, you've forgotten your place on the battlefield. Maybe you can't even find it. That's something altogether different. The struggle, the fight, it's a mark of the Christian life. As John Owen would famously put it, if you're fighting sin, you're alive. Take heart. But if sin holds sway unopposed, you are dead, no matter how lively the sin makes you feel. Take heart, embattled saint. Losing sight is one thing. But no struggle, no fight, that's another. Complacency might be following in the general's footsteps. But what if there's no struggle at all? No fight. What if it's, there's no fight because you're no threat? You're no part of God's family, so the devil doesn't have to worry about you. He has no reason to go after you. But maybe your sharing of Cedric stupidity isn't just sinfulness and losing sight of the struggle. It might be something else. Maybe it's just like how Cedric, involved in so many battles beforehand, surviving them, came to doubt that the enemy he was facing was actually a deadly foe. Maybe this is where we share it. Maybe we've underestimated our enemies. If Cedric could speak through the centuries, we'd hear him tell us how deadly, deathly a thing it is to do, to underestimate an enemy. If we're being told of our, our need for God's strength, for full armor 
Aren't we meant to realize that the enemy, the enemies that we're facing, they are strong, they are powerful, they're pervasive, they're persuasive, and most terrifyingly of all, they're present and they're personal. They're present in this world in which we find ourselves. Look initially at the picture Paul paints for us concerning our enemy, the devil in verse 11, our need to put on the armor, why to stand against his schemes. What a wonderful word for Paul to use, giving us an insight into the devil's mind. Remind us he has methods. He's not random. His attacks aren't sporadic. They're pinpointed. They're accurate. They're deadly. They're alluring. They're elusive. They're subtle. His methods are just like how J.C. Ryle talks of sin, one of my favorite quotes, saying that sin rarely comes to us in its true form, saying, I'm your enemy and I want to drag you to hell. Sin comes to us like Judas. It comes with a kiss. The devil loves to scheme. He loves to spread lies. He's been doing it ever since the very beginning. Some of his best work is done in making God's people underestimate his power and doubt God's promises. And what else should we expect? It's the simple, logical expansion of the same method Satan's been using since the garden to now. So wouldn't it make sense that he'd try to trip us up all through the same schemes and the same lies, repeating that slithering whisper to our hearts? Did God really say? Did God really say? Does God's word really say that, that I exist? Does God's word really say that I'm like a prowling lion? Waiting, trying to devour you? Well, if the devil can make us doubt that, if he can make us underestimate him and his minions, won't we be vulnerable? Ignorance of the enemy, underestimating him and them, an open door to devious schemes. Paul doesn't only stop at the devil, he wants us to grasp how wide this is. We could spend so much more time delving into the details of the various things that he lists as this passage go on. Plenty of interpretations put forward. I'm not going to go into that. If you want to talk about it afterwards, that, that's, that's fine. But let me give you a word of caution. We want to see the fight. We don't want to underestimate our enemy. But we want to remember it's possible to move from practical disbelief in the devil to a preoccupation in him and his minions. And that's not what we want. We want perspective to see the powers that are at work, but we don't want to be preoccupied with them. Paul doesn't want us to underestimate them. He wants us to realize their power. He wants us to know it's personal. Really interesting thing in the word that Paul uses in verse 12, struggle or wrestle, depending on your translation, it's a hand-to-hand -hand combat term, literal wrestling match, two people locked in combat. I have to confess, despite all of the, the terrifying nature of everything else that we think about, we think about the devil and demons, his minions, the fact that it's personal scares me most of all. I think this part of to pinpoint and target. They have the power to hit the mark. I'm definitely an elephant that they won't miss in this. And they won't miss because what they want to get me to do, my heart already wants to do it. And if my heart wants to do that, 
and then I need help. And if only Cedric had learned on that day that he'd followed in the footsteps of so many other generals before, if only he'd learned to follow in the footsteps of the soldier who dodged, if only he'd taken cover, the history of that day in his life would have been different. And here's where we need to learn a lesson. Take cover. Cover was there for Cedric, and cover's here for us. Do you see it? Look at it. Oh, our enemy schemes may be powerful, they may be personal, but they have nothing on how powerful and personal the cover that we can have is. This is the power that Paul is calling us to stand in. And we stand in it, not by just not losing sight of the Savior and His strength for a fight already won. Seeing the person, this is the person you get to come. Do not lose sight of Him. Do not lose sight of the Savior and His strength for the fight that He's already won. Come and take cover. Don't we need it? Hasn't our great need of a power greater than ourselves been laid bare in all of this? Haven't we been confronted with our frailty in a fight? And here with Paul's words, aren't we told not only to stand, but how to stand? How is it possible to stand? If you take cover, if you take cover on someone else, it's possible to stand when you put on someone else's tried and tested and trustworthy armor. And look at whose armor this is. Throughout this section, doesn't Paul remind us of the one whose strength we stand in? Doesn't he say it consistently every time he talks about this armor? It is the whole armor of God in verse 11. In verse 13, it's the whole armor of God. This is God's armor. And the imagery that Paul's in here from the Old Testament is the picture of the, the warrior king God from Isaiah. Isaiah 59, the warrior king God who comes to fight for his people because they have no one else. The one who comes to rescue them and bring salvation. But while in Isaiah's day, they were looking forward to a battle to come, to a promise of deliverance and salvation and victory. What are we doing? We are looking back. Back to a promise kept. A victory won, a salvation secured. We're looking back to a cross where our king, our warrior king, would give up his life and his enemies would face the crushing that was promised them. With that in view, when we think of our warrior king Jesus and putting on his armor, we are talking about armor that has been tried and tested. This armor has been in the fight. We're talking about blood-stained, trustworthy armor. We're talking about armor in which we can stand, face our enemies, remembering that they will not have forgotten the sight of the armor and the champion who wore it, the one who trampled their necks into the ground as he wrestled victory from them, the one who by his death will one day seal them in a tomb the tomb they thought could hold him. 
we are talking about the armor of a conquering king, the armor of one who faced sin, death, hell, and vanquished each and every one of them. That's the armor we're talking about. That's the armor you and I can wear. That's the armor that's been purchased for us. It's not armor that comes to us piece by piece by our own blood and toil and sweat and tears. It's armor that's provided for us. It's armor that's been purchased for us. It's armor that is put on us. Not mustered up by effort and dedication or affection. It's graciously given. Graciously given by the one who died for it. Died in it. He now says to us, put this on. You need this. Put on every piece. Do not miss a greave or a vambrace. Do not miss a belt or a buckle, a strap or a sword. Leave no open spots. Put this on every bloodstained piece that was deeply purchased for people like you, people who did not deserve it, people whom I love, people for whom I provide. Put this on as you look out into that fight. Put this on as you see the strength of your enemies. Put this on and take cover in the strength of a Savior who died so that you could wear his armor. This is what our great Savior, our conquering, dying warrior, living King Jesus says to us. So hear him. The days are evil, but you can stand. And stand firm, not in your own strength, but in his. Don't lose sight of the fight. Don't underestimate your enemies. Take cover. There's tried and tested and trustworthy blood-stained armor for all of us to wear.